I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. This morning we began looking at Psalm 18, and we began by looking at the first 19 verses. This morning we had noted how in this prayer, David is praying for God's kingdom, and he has been praying from Psalm 3 all the way through Psalm 17, and in those Psalms, he has prayed for God's deliverance from enemies. So that when we come to Psalm 18, it's kind of like an answer to all of those prayers when it says in the title here to the choir master, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of the song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And as we thought about that outline, it is when God answers your prayers for God's kingdom, what ought we to do? We should rejoice. And how do you rejoice? You rejoice by telling your story, the story of how God has answered your prayers. And then we looked at the answer to David's prayer and how Yahweh answered in such a way that it inspires worship and it also ensures our rescue. We pick up from there at verse 20 tonight. Verse 20. Follow along as I read aloud God's word and receive it with a believing heart. Verse 20. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me. And his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept my soul, myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under my feet and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were all consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me to sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. 
I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from the strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. There ends the reading of God's word. May he also add his blessing to it. I encourage you congregation to follow along in the outline that I've provided as we give um, attention to this. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the habits that our family has had, especially when our kids were a bit younger, but we even do it now sometimes. On Sundays, we will oftentimes read a biography, a biography of a Christian missionary oftentimes, or another Christian doing some kind of work. And the way that it has impacted our family is to see how God has worked out these truths of Scripture in the lives of another individual. And as we read those stories, we find them to be very inspiring because we see them in their weakness and we see how God comforts them. We see them cry out to God and how God answers their prayer. We see them how they go through, through tremendous difficulties and yet how God somehow brings them through it or brings good out of a very difficult situation. Well, tonight, congregation, we have... David's testimony. We have the details of the story. Already this morning we had noted how David cried out to God and he says God heard and then he goes on to speak about how God began to answer but it's tonight beginning at verse 20 that we begin to get into the details of how David sees that God had indeed worked in his life on behalf of him and brought him through. So notice this, once again we come to this theme of Yahweh rescues Christ's kingdom, and this is point three in a four-point sermon, we looked at points one and two this morning, it is the story, the story of Yahweh's rescue, and we begin in verses 20 to 24 with the king resisting temptation, the king resisting temptation. When I first began to study this psalm, I was very troubled with verses 20 and 24, where David says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. It almost gives the impression that David earned God's favor. Now, Not only did that trouble me, but then when you consider the fact that this psalm also comes at the end of 2 Samuel, where David's life is at the end. 
And by this time, we know that David has committed two heinous sins. He has committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, and he has killed his neighbor. Adultery and murder. How can David say this kind of a thing in a song to say, God, I have done what is right? Is David saying something wrong here? Here's how I've sorted it out. David is talking about a particular instance in his life. And the instance is actually two, perhaps, in his life where he resisted severe temptation. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 24. You remember David is talking about how God has delivered him from his enemies. And in the title it says specifically, and how God had delivered him from the hand of Saul. We have two incidents in particular about that particular event in his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, you have David sparing Saul's life. Remember, David had been hiding in a cave. Saul comes along with his men. They go into the cave. David is in the back and he sneaks up to Um, Saul, and he cuts off a corner of his robe. But I want to point out this particular detail at verse 6. At verse 6. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David resisted the temptation to kill Saul in the cave. Then turn to 1 Samuel 26, just a page over. You have the second incident where once again Saul is hunting David, and you come to verse 9, 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 9. Actually, verse 8, Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. Right? Saul is there, sleeping tight. His whole army is sleeping sound. Even those who are supposed to be keeping an eye out and and being on the watch out. Verse 9, but David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. You see the temptation that David resisted. David twice over was given the opportunity to kill Saul, but he says, now in Psalm 18, he said, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. Why? Verse 21, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. What did I do? I honored the Lord's anointed. In those two incidences, I did not take Saul's life. 
And what did he say? He said, perhaps God will cause him to fall in battle or God will take him out in some other way. But I am not going to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. I will leave that in the hands of God. And I believe that what David is speaking about here in Psalm 18 are those two incidences. And so David is not, first of all, highlighting what a good boy he was or how well he performed. But if you notice... Verse 20 and verse 24 are kind of like the introduction and the conclusion to this section. First he tells us what he's going to tell us, then at the end he tells us what he told us. And if you move to the middle, notice what is right in the middle. It is not so much David as it is God. Look at verse 22, which is right in the middle of this sandwich, so to speak. In verse 22 he says, For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. How was it that I was kept safe? The emphasis is, David is saying, God kept me safe and it was His Word, it was His law, it was His his revelation to me. That is what preserved my life. And that's what's being emphasized, you see. And so once again, David is throwing it back to God, saying, God, here's how you preserved my life. And that's why we say that the king resists temptation. How did he do so? By the guidance of God. The guidance of God. And this is the importance of us studying Scripture, knowing Scripture. Have you ever had it, congregation? When you were in the midst of a temptation or a temptation was coming to you and a Bible verse popped into your head? Or at least a phrase of a Bible verse? Do you see how God prepares us for those moments of temptation by planting Scripture? In Psalm 119, it says, Your word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against God. Why should we have His word memorized and internalized so that in the moments of temptation, those things are used by the Spirit to draw our attention to say, Stop! Don't you remember what God's word says? And that was what influenced David, you see. How can I kill Saul? This is God's anointed. God anointed him to be king. I don't agree with what he's doing. And yes, he's hunting me, but who am I to take him out? I will leave that to God. And so David's story is how he resisted temptation. But then secondly, part of his story is, notice how Yahweh rewards the king. Yahweh rewards the king. Here we go on to verse 25 where David kind of spells out the the way in which God deals with people. He says, with the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. In other words, when you go away from the ways of God, what does He do? He's going to treat you accordingly. But when you walk in the ways of God, how does God deal with you? God deals with you mercifully. If you're pure, He deals with you purely. Doesn't mean that your life will be simple or necessarily easy, but it does mean that God is one who cares for you. And so what does God do? Yahweh has rewarded David, go on with me to verse 27. He summarizes it up. He says, here's the principle. Here's the practice. Verse 27, for you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. That's the whole theme of 1 Samuel. 
1 Samuel begins with Hannah receiving a baby from God, names him Samuel, and the, re- and, and the next couple of chapters is how God brings down Eli and raises up Samuel. Samuel is raised up and he anoints Saul king. Saul becomes great, but it's not long before he sins in his arrogance and God begins to bring Saul down and bring David up. The whole book of 1 Samuel is all about how how God brings up the humble and brings down the proud and the arrogant. And David summarizes that in verse 27. But then he goes on to say in verse 28, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. He is pointing to God as the one who has rewarded him. And then he ends this by saying in verse 29, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. You get the impression that David was an impressive soldier. He could run fast, and he could jump high. But I want you to notice that even in his abilities, he said, it is God. God who made me to do this and to be this way. Whatever strength I have, God gave it to me. And so his story is, God rewarded me. God protected me. God is the one who kept me. But that leads us to the third element of his story, and that is he talks about how how God equips him. Yahweh equips the king. Looking at verse 30, he gets into greater detail. He says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Remember earlier in this psalm, David used this language. Remember we talked about a place of refuge? A couple months ago, my family went down into our crawl space because we were seeking refuge because of a storm that was coming through. David says, God is my refuge. He's the one who protects me. And then he says, here's what God did. In verse 31, he asked the question, for who is God but the Lord? Now you've noticed so far in this sermon, I've been using the term Yahweh. You notice Lord in this verse, all capital letters, L-O-R-D. That's the way that the English editors have said the Hebrew name behind this is Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. There were other gods, or at least in the imaginations of other nations, there was Moloch, and there was Milcom, and there was Baal, and there was the Ashtoreth, and so forth, and those were the gods of the other nations, and that was their name, but this God has a different name, and his name is Yahweh, which means I am, I am the existing one. And now David says, is there any other God? No, there's no other God, but there's only one God, and that God is Yahweh. And he says in verse 31, and who is a rock except our God? Is there any other God that could protect me? Is there any other God that could stand up against the enemies that I've stood up against? And the implication is no. So he says in verse 32, here's how God has equipped me. The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. You see, he gives God the credit for leading him and keeping him from laying hands on Saul on those two incidences. And then he says in verse 33, he talks about his feet, and then in verse 34, he's going to talk about his hands. He says, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. 
Congregation, if you're a soldier, especially a foot soldier, the two most crucial uh, pieces of equipment that you have are your arms and your legs. Even today, the physical training and the physical test that you do in the military is they do push-ups and sit-ups and a two-mile run. Why? Because they want to know if you've got strength in your arms and in your legs. When I went through basic training, one of the things that we did, had to do before every single meal when we'd come to the chow hall, there was a, a long row of what we would call monkey bars, right? Hand over hand. And you had to get all the way through before they would let you go into the chow hall. The first couple of days, uh, some of us went hungry. Because we couldn't hang on to the bars, because not only were they bars, but they were roller bars so that you had to grab them or they would roll off. Why? They wanted our arms to be strong in order to do the work of a soldier. Well, David says, how did I get strong enough to pull back a bow of bronze? Right? A bronze bow is going to be able to fling the arrows a lot further, but you've got to be pretty strong because if you can't pull it back, you're not going to be able to shoot. And if you're shaking so much because uh, it's so strong and so hard, you're not going to be able to hit your target. He says, but God made my muscles strong so I could take that bow of bronze and I could pull it back and I could shoot those arrows a long way. But it was God who made my arms strong. It was God who made my feet so fast that I was like a deer, ran like a deer. But then he goes on to say in verse 35, and you notice the emphasis on he, he, and now verse 35, you, and verse 36, you. He says, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. Your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. It's you, God. Here I am on the battlefield and it was in each step that I acknowledge that you are the one who made me successful. Now, he talks about a particular pursuit. Look at verse 38, verse 37. He said, I pursued my enemies and I overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. Verse 38, I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. Now, how was David able to do that? Immediately he goes to the next verse and he says, God, I give you the credit. I give you the credit. Verse 39, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. He gives the credit to God. You see, David is telling his story. Here I was. I had to face this enemy. I had the opportunity to kill Saul, but I didn't because I trusted in God. He goes on with his story. He says, God is the one who gave me the victory. And now he's gone into the explicit details to say, here's how God strengthened my muscles and my feet and my legs in order to do battle. Yes, I had to fight. Yes, I had to pull back the, the bronze bow. But God blessed the times of battle. That leads us to the fourth element of his story where he talks about the defeat of the enemy. Look at verse 40. He says, You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. Now, here's a haunting verse. At verse 41, he says... They cried for help, but there was none to save. 
And you might say, okay, anybody on the battlefield, when they're in trouble, help! But then look at the next line in verse 41 where it says, they cried to the Lord, but He, the Lord, did not answer them. Do you remember the last battle of Saul? As the battle was ramping up, he cried out to God, but God would not listen to him. So he goes and he finds a witch in Endor, and he says to the witch, can you, can you raise up Samuel for me? Call him up, because I am troubled. I'm crying out to God, but he doesn't answer. And he sees, the witch sees this image of Samuel. And Samuel is upset. He doesn't want to be bothered by this. And it simply emphasizes the fact that God had left Saul. I can't think of a more haunting reality than to be at a point in your life where you cry out to God and it is silent and He doesn't listen and He doesn't hear. Saul, you see, had turned away from God Saul was not a repentant man. Saul continued, and so God shut him off, and he did not listen. And that is what led to David's victory. He goes on to say in verse 42, I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. While Saul was still king, David was at a a southern point in in Kela, and he would go out and he would have these sorties. He would go out and, and do these skirmishes and he would defeat them and he would defeat them completely in order that they would not bring messages back to other folks as to what he was doing. And so he was being a, a, an instrument in the hands of God to bring about justice. But God was not doing the same for Saul. You see how David is telling his story how God very specifically, dealt with him and gave him the victory. Remember, this is the David who said, who it was said about, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David did not become proud and boastful and say, look what a great warrior I have been. Instead, as he comes to the end of his life and he looks back and he says, it's God. It is God who brought me through all those battles and made me who I am. Well, that leads us to the fifth point of his story. And here's the conclusion that he comes to. What he comes to realize is that what God was doing in giving him victory over his enemies was not simply keeping David safe, but God was doing something greater than David's life, and that is that Yahweh was establishing his kingdom. Yahweh establishes his kingdom. Look at verses 43 to 45. He says, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. You see what David is recognizing? He is recognizing not only that he won a number of battles, 
But God made him king. If you remember the story of David's life, there were three instances when David was crowned or anointed king. When he was still a young shepherd boy, when Saul was king, remember Samuel had come to David's home and told Jesse, his father, that I need to anoint one of your sons to be king. And so he started with the oldest and then went to the next and got all the way down to the end one. And uh, Samuel said, do you have any other sons? Well, well yeah, there's, there's David. He's a shepherd boy. But they didn't think that he would be king because he was so small, so young. Samuel says, call him. And he anoints David king. Now, that anointing did not take effect for some time because then David is brought into the palace with Saul and he lives with Saul and he serves in Saul's army for some time. But it's not until Saul dies that the men of Judah, right, the southern part, the men of Judah anoint him king and now David becomes king of Judah. But it's not long, and you remember the civil war between the north and the south, between Israel and Judah. But finally, through a variety of circumstances that seem to be happen chance, but God is directing it all the way along, finally, the men of Israel from the north come and say, we also want to have David as our king. And so David is anointed a third time as king. First as a boy, then over Judah, then over all of Israel, and once again, all of Israel is united under David. And now what David is acknowledging is that God is setting up his kingdom. The biggest chunk of scripture we have in the Old Testament is all about the kingdom years. And as I've reflected upon that, it seems to me that what God is emphasizing is God is setting up a kingdom. And we know today that that kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you study and look at the ways in which God providentially leads David and establishes him as king, we ought to in the same way recognize that God is even in a a greater way establishing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Not so that there will be one day a a, a nation state called Christian, but rather that in every nation today, God is already gathering people to himself. Jesus Christ is already king at the right hand of God the Father, and there he is governing all things. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is moving forward, and that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. We are praying for the gospel to go forth. We are praying that God would bring lost souls into his kingdom. We are praying that God would build up his church and preserve his church in a day in which there is great opposition against the church. You see, David is recognizing that Yahweh establishes his kingdom. And that leads to two final details in this psalm. And that is, we first of all have looked at the story of Yahweh's rescue But now we come to the praise. Praise for Yahweh's rescue. And David concludes with praise in two areas. First of all, praise for God to establish his kingdom. We've already been talking about that. But to establish his kingdom. Look here at verses 46 to 48. He says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance 
and subdued peoples under me, the God who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. The man of violence could be Saul. The man of violence could be Absalom. Remember what Absalom wanted? Absalom wanted the kingdom as well. But God said, no, the kingdom is not for Absalom. The kingdom is for David and his line, and it is not down David's line through Absalom, but it is going to be David's line through Solomon. And so David recognizes at the end of his life that God is establishing a kingdom, not first and foremost for David's name, but for David's future son. We are to praise God because He is indeed building a kingdom. Do you see it today, congregation? Do you recognize that God is building a kingdom? If you read the headlines in the newspaper, you're not going to read about it. The world wants to deny it. The world wants us to believe that the Christian church has lost its power, has lost its influence, and ought to be pushed out and pushed away. But I want you to notice something. And I think I mentioned this here before. There is no other book in all the world that continues to be translated and published more broadly than the Word of God. Why do you suppose that's the case? Because God establishes His kingdom through the Word. There are people in every country around the world who are believing in the Word of God. Tonight, we took up an offering for a work in Turkey, which is otherwise dominated by Islam. The Word of God has a presence there. Just this past week, I heard of a man, not a student in my class, but somebody in prison who one of my students knows about. And in the last several months, he was converted from Islam to Christianity by reading the Word of God. Congregation, God is even today establishing His kingdom. And so let us not cower in a culture where they are opposed to the Christian faith and opposed to everything that we stand for, but believe that Jesus Christ continues as King at the right hand of God the Father and as um, one who has been given all power and authority, He continues to make disciples. He continues to pull people out of darkness so that they might follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us praise Yahweh for establishing His kingdom, but secondly, let us praise Yahweh for expanding His kingdom. Expanding His kingdom. Look here at verses 49 and 50. He says, For this I will praise You, O Lord, where? Among the nations. 
Notice, he doesn't say, I will sing about this among Israel. Not just among Zion. He says, God, I'm going to sing about this among the nations. Why? Because nations are going to be brought in. Then he goes on to say in verse 49, and he says, and I will sing to your name. And then he says in verse 50, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David. And then David. I believe most of David's life, he lives with what was revealed to him. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God said to David, I will give to you a descendant to sit on my eternal throne. David, in a sense, knew it would not be him, but he knew that a a descendant would come after him. He didn't know how many descendants after, but some descendant after him would sit on a throne forever and ever and ever. He didn't necessarily know Jesus by name, but he knew Jesus in terms of the idea of it and what he would become. And so he ends this psalm by saying that he would that he would sing praises to God because great salvation he brings to his king, David, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, David, and his offspring forever. Remember this morning, I began by saying that we are engaged in a battle. And that battle began way back in the Garden of Eden when God spoke to the serpent and He said, I will put enmity, I will put fighting, I will declare war between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and He shall bruise your head and you will bruise His heel. The seed of the woman. Take a look again at verse 50. This word offspring is the word for seed. The seed. The seed of the woman that comes in the line of David. It is Jesus Christ. David, though he does not know yet Jesus, he says God is going to bring along the the way the great seed. I have been privileged to stand in this line, but there is one greater coming after me, and it is Jesus Christ, and He will bring a defeat of all those who are opposed to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that is why this sermon is about how it is that God, Yahweh, rescues the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, king, that Christ's kingdom is moving forward today? It is. And that should make us excited to be Christians. That should give us courage to stand for what we believe. That should give us a boldness to share our faith with others. The longer that I've been a pastor, and the more I do work in prisons, the more I realize that there are people in this world who are hurting, they're confused, They despair, and they're looking for hope. Some of them don't realize that they're looking for hope. Several months ago, though, I had a man who came to me. He didn't know anything about God, but he said, here's the one thing that I'm looking for. He said, I need peace. I need to find peace in my life. Everything about his life had fallen apart. The things of his life that were most important to him had all fallen away. They had crumbled 
And he says, I don't know anything about the Bible, but it, could it be that God is doing something here? I said, absolutely yes. I believe that God is in what you're going through. I said, I don't know what he's up to. I don't know all the details about it, but I can guarantee you that God has his hand in your life. Maybe in your life, it may be your next door neighbor. Maybe it's the gal who checks out your groceries at the grocery store. Maybe it's a family member that you said, I can't ever imagine that they would ever turn to God. Don't minimize what God is doing. Don't minimize the power of God to reach into a life and to begin to change them from the inside out and bring them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. David, you see, is telling his story of how God used David to establish the kingdom of Jesus Christ and move it one step forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the concepts that has inspired me as a preacher and a teacher of the Bible is that as I teach, my greatest joy and my greatest expectation is to see those whom I am preaching to to stand side by side with me one day when Jesus Christ comes on the clouds of heaven and together we make the great choir of singing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who has died to take away our sins and who has given to us the Spirit of God to bring us into the kingdom of God so that we might stand in His presence for all eternity. I challenge you to pray with great confidence. Remember, David had prayed in his battle against enemies, Psalms 3 all the way to Psalm 17. And finally, at the end of his life, he can look back and say, God, answered my prayer. Are you praying, congregation? Are you recognizing the ways in which God has already answered some of your prayers? And as you see that, praise God for His answer, but also to be ready to tell your story to be a blessing and an encouragement to others around you. May this be done to the glory of Jesus Christ, our King, whose kingdom is marching forward. Amen. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, may we recognize the advances of your kingdom as David recounted the many battles that he had been in, the many arrows that he had shot, the many fierce enemies that fell under his feet, Father, may we be able to see the many times that you have delivered us from temptations that threatened to bring us down. May we recognize 
the ways in which you have kept us in the faith. And as we see the kingdom of Jesus Christ moving forward through various ministries and works, the conversion of those into the Christian faith, may we all the more rejoice that you are a God who is building your kingdom one sinner at a time. Lord God, may you bless our witness. And as we have opportunity, may we share the good news of Jesus Christ and the advance of his kingdom through the forgiveness of sins and the power of your spirit so that others may know the peace and the joy of belonging to Jesus Christ. Lord, hear our prayer in his name. Amen.